I came out of a time when, you know, a lot of the men teachers were also World War II vets. So they had a different view on life and a, and a different view of how precious everything is. As a person that views himself as a, as a protector, I would throw my life down to protect uh, innocence. The killing doesn't stop until the bad guy's engaged. In order to survive extreme violence, we have to understand certain things, again, about human nature. But if you're not aware of those principles, you're basically going into a situation blindfolded. And if you become aware of them through discussions like this or the book that I wrote, uh, you can start to understand how to use those principles to your advantage and to the disadvantage of the bad guy. You're a man living in the modern world in a time when men and manhood are not what they once were. You live life on your own terms. You're self-sufficient. You think for yourself and you march to the beat of your own drum. When life knocks you down, you get back up because in your gut, you know that's what men do. You're a badass and a warrior. And on the days when you forget, we are here to remind you who you really are. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Thought Leader Revolution podcast. I'm here with a repeat guest. This gentleman is one of my favorite people on the planet. He is the legendary creator of the Navy SEALs tactical folding knife. He is a world-renowned hand-to-hand combat instructor. And he is the creator of one of the world's most iconic production, 100% USA-made knife companies. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary <laughs> Ernest Emerson. Welcome to the show, Ernest. <laughs> wow. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> you floored me with all the compliments. I hope I, hope I live up to them. That's all. I'm great. Good to be here, Nikki. Once again, it's good to be here with you today, my friend. So, you know, um, just so you can see, I'm sporting the colors, sporting the colors here, sporting my colors and sporting your colors. Yeah. And do you recognize this fella? I do indeed. Police utility knife. (laughs) It's a beautiful. This is the sharpest knife I've ever handled in my knife. Like out of the box. Woo! This is crazy sharp. I have to be extra careful pulling this out of the sheet, you know, because I, I tend to be dumb sometimes with pulling stuff out. You know, I, I, I'm dumb, too, so I'm in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> My wife never lets me uh, forget that fact. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no question, man. No question. So, so Ernest, um, you know, you and I, we've become friends over the years. Uh, you've been on uh, both my shows. Now you're going to be on both my shows with this particular episode. And you um, you wrote a new book and you asked me if you could come on the show to talk about it. And of course, I said yes. So tell me about this book, Bad Guy with a Gun, How to Survive the Attack of an Active Shooter, Volumes 1 and 2. What made you decide that it was time for you to write a new book, and this book in particular? Well, it's funny because... Uh... It's not funny, actually. Um, it's it's necessary, and that kind of was the driving force for me. And this this book, we I've been in the process of writing it for 
about five years, actually, uh, a series of uh, things that I've written down, chapters, if you will, uh, because it's what I've taught over the years, uh, you know, 30, 40 years of instructing and all that. And it's part of what I've also taught my family um, every day. And so I looked at that and I, I thought, well, you know, let's put this down in a, in a manuscript, in a book. And uh, off we went. And unfortunately, I guess, but maybe fortunately, it was, it was published uh, about three weeks before the Buffalo shooting. And of course, about five weeks then uh, before the uh, shooting in Uvalde uh, at the school. So it's, I believe, 100% uh, relevant to, the, to these times. And so that's really what it's all about. It, it's, uh, I own a knife company. That's, that's my mode of living. Uh, I don't make my living writing books. Uh, so it was more, I want this information to be passed on because, again, I wouldn't have written it down if I didn't think it was and wasn't sure in my heart uh, that it was uh, good information, relevant, and things that the average person uh, and or the experienced person should be aware of. So in a nutshell, it's, it's what I've always espoused and finally put it down into writing. Ernest, I'm looking at some of the people that have um, endorsed this book. So if you don't mind, I'm going to quote sure. what some of them have written because these aren't your average everyday, uh, your average everyday people. No. So um, here's what one fellow had to say. I've had the privilege to know Ernest Emerson for many years. He's a superb martial artist and knows his craft. I highly recommend this book. Whether you're a novice or an experienced martial artist, you will greatly benefit from this book. The man who said that is Royce Gracie, UFC Hall of Famer, right? He's the fellow who won UFC 1, UFC 2, UFC 4. <laughs> I, I mean, UFC today exists because Royce Gracie. Of the Gracies, yeah. Yeah, was there and was the first popular champion. So here's a quote from another fellow. Emerson Knives are famous in the worst places. Well, that's one of your marketing slogans, which I really like. Um, because they're built for situation where your life depends on it. In this book, Bad Guy with a Gun, Ernest shares his lifetime of knowledge and skills to help you survive in such a worst case scenario. Read this like your life depends on it. Someday it might. Leif Babin, former U.S. Navy SEAL combat veteran and number one New York Times bestselling author of Extreme Ownership, how the U.S. Navy SEALs lead and win. So, Leif Babin, I just read him and Jocko's book in our men's organization mm -hmm. in the month of May, that book was the book of the month. Um, you know, so that was pretty amazing. And I'll read one more. I implore you to read and heed this book. I believe that Ernest Emerson and his book, bad guy with a gun was put here, as it says in the Bible, in the book of Esther for such a time as this quote unquote, with all my heart, I encourage you to read, study and apply this book so that you can help save your life and the precious lives of your loved ones in these dark and violent days. Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman, U.S. Army, retired, uh, you know, author of on killing co uh, and on combat, on hunting, on spiritual combat. So these are three of the world's best people. This is the best that the world has to offer in their respective fields, but also in terms of being quality human beings. I'm very lucky to have a, a very, you're, very... You're, you're, you're a blessed and fortunate man. Yeah. There's no question about it. 
um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> offline, I'd love to interview a couple of these guys on the show. Uh, but might be able to get something like that going. That'd be great. That'd be great. But, um, you know, I remember Valde. I remember that troubled young man who went in there shooting up that school. And I remember that the police did not rush in. They did not rush in. They waited for an hour while this guy kept killing people, you know, until finally the go-ahead got given. And that is a sign of the times. And I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think could have happened if there was somebody in that school, a teacher who'd read this? Mm -hmm. Well, let, let me say something before I answer that question. Uh, this is not a, it's not a book of how to do this. If a guy grab pulls a gun, you do that. It's not a martial arts book by any, by any stretch. It's a book of principles based on uh, the experience of what happens in these types of environments when people are, are faced with extreme violence. And so that's, that's what this book is about. Uh, it's about uh, universal principles that apply across the board in your daily life, in, in a violent confrontation, and in any kind of interpersonal uh, human aggression uh, uh, contact. Uh, so anyway, having said that, we'll get into some of those principles in a minute if you'd like. But uh, as far as Uvalde was concerned, uh, one of the things that, uh, that I think is important to note is, of course, you and I weren't there. Uh, the only people that were there were the ones that were there. So we can't, we can't pass. Uh, it's always easy to uh, critique something after the fact. When you're in the middle of it, it's, it's a completely different environment. But I must say Ooh. this. Uh, I don't know how they restrain the police officers from going in because it's one of those things where uh, as a father or as a, as a person that views himself as a, as a protector, uh, a sheepdog as Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman um, describes, uh, I, I don't know if you could have held me back. You would have had to shoot me in the back to stop me from going in because I would, I would have, I would throw my life down to protect uh, innocence. And uh, we're going to talk about some of those things in a, in a moment, I hope, uh, because what it has to do with is uh, I'm going to jump ahead because I got a series of notes here that are kind of in a sequential order, but uh, you know, the, the killing doesn't stop until the bad guys engaged. And that's borne out so true in the events of Evaldi. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it was what is commonly referred to as a cluster. You know what? <laughs> uh, yeah. People just, uh, you're, you're never ready for something like that. Although, you should be ready for something like that. Uh, and I think that maybe they were overwhelmed and or uh, there were too many cooks in the kitchen or whatever. But, uh, you know, one guy with a gun can do a lot of damage, but 20 guys with guns, uh, I just don't I don't get that equation. It should have tipped the other way quicker than it did. Let's just say that. A heck of a lot quicker than it did. There's no question about it. Um, you know, I, I believe that we're living in times where um, there's a mind virus out there in the world. And that mind virus goes by many names, but I call it wokeism. And wokeism is evil. Wokeism is about putting people down, 
doing anything you can to divide them and conquer them. The yep. wokists are evil racists. They're evil sexists. They're anti-woman. That's very clear yeah. because they're allowing, um, you know, they're, they're allowing, allowing men, men to go to into women. uh, into women's sports. As an oh. example, these are not people that are, you know, experiencing gender dysphoria. Okay, because I know some people yep. that have experienced gender dysphoria that mm-hmm. have had that that horrible, horrible uh, situation in their lives. And uh, and very honestly, gone through the process of thinking it through, figuring it out, having surgery and moving from one gender mm-hmm. to another. I got a lot of time for someone like that and what they're going through. I got zero time for a guy who's never won anything as a guy and said, you know what? Oh. I'm going to decide I'm a girl now because I can beat these girls. That's yeah. messed up. That's messed up. And these wokists are allowing things like that to happen because it furthers their agenda. And this wokest mind virus has infected so many of our institutions, even in the great state of Texas, which is really one of the great traditional, you know, individualistic states of America. That's obviously taken root because if it hadn't taken root, there would have been one cop in there who'd say, screw this, I'm going in. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. I agree on all of those points. Uh, there is something that's going on in our society, and uh, it's, I guess it's just trying to break down all of the things that uh, has kept our societies uh, able to function for, you know, 10,000 years, let's say. And uh, I don't think they have a better idea. In fact, it's, it's funny not, not to get off on a, on a rant or off on a, a tangent, uh, but when you start... Uh, invoking and idolizing and proselytizing uh, the communist type of uh, governments and things like that. Uh, I think what also has happened is we have dropped our sense of historical uh, legacy. And as as seen with all of these so-called experts that are trying to rewrite our <laughs> the history of the United States and quite frankly, the history of uh, the world, I guess, uh, we've, we've taken things that have always been uh, sacred to us. And, you know, I'm, I'm all about the truth. Don't, don't ever get me wrong on that. But uh, it, a lot of this stuff is not based on scientific evidence. In fact, it's not based on good sources. Uh, it's not based on contemporaneous uh, authority that, of the times when they were. And also a lot of it is, uh, and was a product of the times that these things existed. That does not make it right. Uh, it can still be wrong, but it, it doesn't allow you to rewrite history to fit some other type of narratives. And so I think with the, with the people that are uh, trying to break down our uh, institutions, uh, I think it has to do a lot with the gradual infiltration and breakdown of the way that we taught uh, that our schools are teach students uh they're they're more involved now with teaching feelings than they are about teaching reading writing and arithmetic and history and i think again if you if you see a young kid with a che guevara shirt on or something uh it's obvious they have no no idea who che guevara is they don't or was and that also points again to that bigger picture that i'm trying to paint that uh we've lost we should teach history. History, is, as as George Santignana uh, said, if, if you ignore history, you're doomed to repeat, to it. repeat it. Yeah. And so we got to learn from history, but you have to 
learn history to learn from it. And so, yeah, a lot of those things I think are tied in and, uh, um, you know, kids just don't have, uh, I mean, when you can't place World War II in the right century, there, there's something definitely wrong, let alone the, you know, the Civil War. So, funny that you should mention that uh, we need to teach our children history. There was a famous speech that Ronald Reagan delivered. Ronald Reagan is my favorite uh, president of the last hundred years. And um, he, he said that we, we need to teach our children why America is special. We need to teach them about Paul Revere and his famous mm -hmm. ride warning the patriots that the British were coming. We need to teach them um, who Harriet Tubman was. Mm -hmm. We need to teach them about Abraham Lincoln and the Emancipation Proclamation. You know, we need to teach them who Jimmy Doolittle was and why those 16 seconds over Tokyo meant something. Yeah. You know, um, we need to teach them who John F. Kennedy was. And I know today they're trying to make him out to be some type of squishy liberal. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm telling you, JFK was the last Democrat that I actually yeah. loved, yeah. you know, because well, you, you listen to his inaugural address. We will pay any price, bear any burden to ensure the success and survival of liberty around yeah. the world. And his speech where, where he announced that the United States was going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. You know, this beautiful Massachusetts accent, yeah. which I'm going to mangle. We seek to go to the moon, not yeah. because it is easy, but because it is hard. hard. I, I Absolutely. Mean, it gives me goosebumps. How inspirational is that? Well, you know, John Kennedy was a, a legitimate war hero. And I mean, a guy who swam from one island to the next with a rope in his mouth, basically hauling a wounded comrade when their PT-109 was struck by that. Uh, Japanese ship uh, that there was he He's was a, a hard man. <laughs> yeah he was a hard man there's no question about it uh, and of course Democrats in those days might have been a little different than the ones that we're we're dealing with today uh, I don't think any of them today could hold a candle to John F Kennedy in fact no. I, I don't think a lot of people could ever hold a candle to him uh, but uh, yeah that was a different guy he he said don't pray for um, easier life pray for stronger men I mean that's another uh, Beautiful. And so, yeah, it's when you say, uh, again, I, I don't want to be critical to a degree that uh, because I wasn't there, but at Ovaldi, um, you know, in the old days, uh, being a police officer was a calling and like being a, a priest or being a teacher. It was who you were before you ever, you know, took that title. Yeah. And uh, nowadays, and I see it because I've I've been dealing with police departments and training and all that for you know dozens and dozens of years. Uh, you've got a young individual that, okay, what am I going to do? I've got a degree in in graphic design, not a lot of money in that, but boy, old LAPD is offering fifty five thousand dollars a year to start with full benefits and unlimited overtime. Uh, I think I'll be a cop. Well, okay, got it. You, you might become a really good cop, but what's going to happen is we're going to strap a gun on your uh, hip and give you a, basically a license to kill uh, if necessary. And that's a little different than maybe the old Irish 
cop walking down the streets of New York City in 1950 with a beat stick in his hand, uh, going to thump bad guys wherever they whenever they appeared. Uh, there's a different mentality. And it's, again, same thing with teachers. Uh, as you know, and I know, and everyone who's ever been to any kind of school, there's good teachers and there's really, really good teachers, the ones that you will always remember when you're my age. Uh, I've got those two or three or four favorite teachers that I had. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if there's a lot of kids nowadays that have those favorite teachers available to them. And uh, of course, I came out of a time when, you know, a lot of the men teachers were also World War II vets. So they had a they had a different view on life and a, and a different view of, of how precious everything is. Uh, so I got I got a pretty good education from <laughs> in my school. Yeah. Anyway. We need more men teaching right now. Eighty eighty three percent of yeah. teachers are women. Nothing. No knock on women. They're awesome. But, you know, they're not going to yeah. teach little boys the lessons in masculinity and manliness. Yeah. And that's part of what needs to be taught in school. So my my two boys go to a boys uh, school, Catholic boys school here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a lot of men teachers there for which I'm very, very grateful. Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of other issues with that school. Unfortunately, a bit of the woke virus has infected it, but mm -hmm. there's still a lot of good there. Um, these folks in Uvalde, the police didn't take action. But there was this young man in Indiana in a mall, 22 years old, who saw oh, yeah. a fella start shooting people with a high powered rifle. He had a concealed carry permit. Yep. He pulled out his gun. And he took that dude out. So that good guy with a gun, yeah. good man, because yep. you know what? That's another thing that's inside my men's organization, Ernest. Yes. You're not allowed to call one of the men there a guy. <laughs> a guy is a pejorative term. You can call people outside of that world a guy. Those are men. Yeah. And if you use the G word, the G word is a forbidden word in our world. <laughs> You you gonna drop down and do thirty pushups, and there was a I man like who couldn't remember that. And in a three hour meeting, he did six hundred and sixty pushups. Holy smokes! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he's more manly now than he was. Oh God, <laughs> he, he was sore for a while. He learned his I lesson, bet. though. I'll tell you that. Wow. He said, "Are you kidding me? Like I'm about like five or six in. It was like becoming a joke. When's he gonna yeah. say it next? Right? Like it was just. Well, it's funny when you say that about the bad guy." Uh, or guy, uh, when I started and when we were first doing all the training and all that, that's, that's what a, that's what a bad guy was, was the bad guy. And, uh, it, the term active shooter and all that stuff, that's, that's all evolved as, as training methodologies and philosophies about training and all that, I guess. Um, but yeah, the, we always called them bad guys. We called the terrorists bad guys. We called the you know, anybody who is bad would just call him a bad guy. So, yeah, that's why that's on the book. No, it's a great title for the book. I like yeah. it. But just, uh, no, you know, funny. That's, someone like outside that. of our organization, you can call him the G word. Yeah. He can be a guy. Yeah. But if you're part of the sovereign man movement, you're a man. Yeah. We call you're in, you the, a man. you're in the company of men. You're in the company and, of men. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something, you know, um, on page 28 in your book, you've got the warrior's prayer from the Order of the Black Shamrock. I, mm -hmm. I, I'd like to read that prayer if I could. Go right uh, ahead. Lord, we ask that you look upon our humble brethren with your infinite grace and blessings. We ask that you give us strength against our enemies when we are forsaken and grant us courage when we falter. We ask that you stay our hand with your mercy when we have none. 
We ask that you grant us wisdom when we are in need of guidance. We ask for your light to guide us when we dwell in darkness and know not the way. We ask that you protect our brethren from harm and temptation. We ask that our faith shall stand as our unbroken shield against all that is evil. We ask that you have mercy upon our souls in the time of our death. We know that all things are possible through faith and through the blessings of your grace and mercy. Amen. Well, uh, you know, it's there's there's um, something that I truly believe um, besides those words is that uh, and I've I've taught this I've and talked to people about it. You know, faith is what will give you the courage to do something when you know that it may be the last thing that you ever do. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's part of that mentality um, that as a man, as a protector, uh, I, I'm willing to, uh, um, I'm, I, I, embrace that philosophy. I love it. I, I, I want to be that. I, I strive to, to do those things. And it's when you talk about the young man in the uh, mall at, uh, in Indiana, um, well, well, we'll talk about, we'll talk about that uh, as we get along here, because he, he, he had a plan. And uh, that's another very important thing about being prepared for uh, the eventualities of extreme violence. So, uh, but we'll, we'll brief on that in a couple of minutes, kind of go down this this road. Faith is a big part of it. You know, the, to know that you're doing the right thing for the right reason uh, gives you a cornucopia, you know, never, never, it'll never run out of strength and conviction. Uh, but you have to have that faith. And that's part of, uh, that's part of training. That's why we, we train our warriors so hard um, that, that they know they have faith in their abilities, faith in their, uh, in their comrades. And most of them, you know, it's funny, uh, Nikki, I, I truly believe that uh, a lot of our warriors, uh, at least the ones that I have dealt with over the years, they, they are men of, and, and women of faith. Uh, they, they have something as their bedrock that they can stand upon. Uh, because I think, uh, again, that's another thing with, again, taking a complete left turn here. Uh, I think the, the left is, doesn't believe in anything. And so all of these causes that this, you know, wokeism, uh, climate change, all of those things, whether they exist or not, it's not my argument, but uh, it be, has replaced their faith uh, with these causes. And that's why it's so difficult for you or I or anybody to have a discussion with them. You can't even say, you know, put it down on paper or give me uh, three reasons why you believe in what you do. They, they can't even you can't have a discussion with them because if you question anything, uh, you're attacking their faith. Yeah. Just like, uh, you know, you, and you can't convince someone to, to not believe in God. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's, you can't convince them to not believe in their God, what, whatever that replacement may have been, whether it's communism or socialism or whatever. So that's why it's so difficult. It's, it's like, for gosh sakes, uh, you, uh, my my faith is never challenged by someone questioning my faith. No, you can't, you, yeah, they you have the right to question your faith. Yeah, what you they don't question. have the right to do is to try to force you to change it. But they have a right yeah. to question it. That's what a free society is all about. Absolutely, and uh, we've we've lost a lot of that. Our the civility and everything, and manners, and uh, 
just being will willing it to listen to someone else's point of view, I think is now, uh, it's always an argument. It's, it's never just a, okay, let's, let's have a talk. Let's, let's see what we got going. I'm not here to convince you of anything. I just want to know what you're, why do you think the way you do, you know? There's an author whose work I really like, but he and I don't see eye to eye on a number of mm -hmm. things. His name is Ryan Holiday. He, he wrote The Daily Stoic, and then I'm reading a mm -hmm. book of his called The Obstacle is the Way. It's an excellent book. Mm -hmm. um, and he he studied the Stoics. He worked with Robert Greene, who wrote The 48 Laws of Power. Mm -hmm. um, Ryan Holiday is a brilliant man, but he's 35 years old, and his life experience is limited. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'll just tell you something. In, in 2016 and 2020, publicly... He wrote letters to his father that he then published publicly, imploring him not to vote for Donald Trump because Ryan Holiday thinks Donald Trump is the devil. Yeah. And he's entitled to his point of view. Um, and I'm going to tell you this. This is my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. At a personal level, is Donald Trump, um, you know, the kindest, greatest human being you've ever met? I don't know. I've never met the guy. Has he sometimes uh, blown up with people and attacked them in ways that I find uncomfortable? Yeah, 100%. I wasn't raised that way. It's not what I'm all about. However, he's been attacked a million times harder by his opponents. Yeah. So, you know, uh, he's he's not turning the other cheek. That's for darn sure. Yep. But um, does that make him a bad dude? No. Does he have a big ego? Yeah, I'd, I'd say he probably has a big ego. But I'm looking at the man objectively from the point of view of his governance and his leadership. Mm -hmm. He was president for four years while he was president. Vladimir Putin didn't invade anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Inflation was under 2% a year for the entire four yep, years. Yep. The economy grew like nobody's business. Um, minorities like me, I'm from the middle East. I'm a, I'm a light Brown dude, not a white <laughs> dude, <laughs> you know, or whatever it's worth. Not that that yeah. should mean anything, but apparently these days it does. I you guess. know, I'm I'm folks like me, all minorities, their uh, participation in the job force skyrocketed business yep. creation by minorities skyrocketed yep. business creation by women skyrocketed women's participation in the job force skyrocketed. There were four peace agreements that were signed. This, this guy is the great peacemaker. Yeah. Like nobody signed four peace deals. No American president, not even a two term presidency, never mind yep. a one term presidency. So. Never mind all his personality and all that. Look at the man's results. Where can where do you rate him? Personally, I rate him an A plus. An A. Let's say maybe say an A on a couple things an A minus. Deficit spending mm -hmm. was a little higher than I'd like it to be, and you know, and but Ryan Holiday, who's a man that I respect and is a smart mm -hmm. guy, thinks Donald Trump's the antichrist. I go, listen, man. Yeah. All the things you preach in your book, Ryan about thinking a certain way and about not being emotional. Cause that's what he talks about is people become too emotional and make yep. bad decisions. Well, you're doing this, Ryan, because if you were not being emotional, you would clearly see that you compare Donald Trump to say the current occupant of the white house, mm -hmm. Joe Biden, objectively speaking, their scorecards cannot be compared. They yeah. just can't be compared that Donald Trump, is Wilt Chamberlain in 1962 when he scored 50.4 points and 25 rebounds a game. Yeah. And um, Joe Biden, 
he's a high school well, player with a broken leg. Yeah. All right. He's, he's the guy with the water bucket. <laughs> right. He's a high school player with a broken leg. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. So yeah. I'm looking at Ryan well, Holiday and I'm going, you're, you're a kid. You're 25 years old. Your emotions are getting in play. You're not even self-aware enough to be able to admit to yourself that your dislike of this man has more to do with you and less to do with objective facts. Yep. And that's a fact that I see. And I look at millennials. There's a lot of smart millennials, brilliant guys. Ryan's a brilliant guy. Respect what he's written. In fact, I want to get him on my show and I want to have this discussion with him. Yep. You, you know what I'm saying? But I'm, I'm telling you flat out, there's far too many people these days who have been brainwashed by the, the methodology that the wokists have used mm-hmm. and they can't think for themselves. In The Sovereign Man, we say there are five, five pillars to being a sovereign man. First and foremost, you have to be um, physically sovereign. That means you got to be in shape. You don't want to be sticking in a wheelchair or need someone to take care of you, right? Physically sovereign. Secondly, you need to be emotionally sovereign. Yeah, we want you to love the people around you, especially your wife. But you know what? You can't need her. If you're a needy little bitch, excuse my French here, then you're not a sovereign man, right? If you have to have her, come on. That's that's not sovereign. Thirdly, we say... You need to be financially sovereign. You got to be able to pay your bills. You have to be able to pay your bills. We don't want to be a burden on society or your family. And heaven forbid, you know, your wife shouldn't be going out there working while you stay at home sitting on a couch. I mean, there's plenty of guys these days that do that. I think that's gross, right? That's absolutely gross, right? Yep. Fourthly, you got to be spiritually sovereign. You got to have a relationship with your God and you you, you need to understand who your God is and you've got to have that. And then lastly, you got to be intellectually sovereign. What does that mean? You got to think for yourself. And too many people today cannot think for themselves. They just get all their information. It's told to them. They don't take the time to think through issues independently. One of the reasons I enjoy having you on my podcast, and I've said to you, Ernest, if you want to come on my podcast five times in a row, I'd have you on because (laughs) you're a free thinker. You actually think for yourself. You, You did a talk at a knife show about in search for the common man, which knife maker would do that? Most knife makers would go, let me think of a talk that's going to help me sell more knives. <laughs> you would, would, well, right? Yeah. Like, right. And here's the interesting thing about it, though, Ernest, because you're a free thinker, because you think deeply about issues that have more to do with, you know, life than buy my knife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sell a lot of knives. I mean, you're in a position right now where you can't even supply your dealers. Like you're, 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 you're not, you're not able to make enough knives fast enough to, to keep up with the demand. Yeah. Well, we're again, I'm, I'm a lucky guy in a lucky, lucky place. Uh, you've, you've touched on a lot of things, a whole bunch of a lot of things that uh, really are near and dear to me. I, I I'm going to try and uh, tilt this down. I want you to see the shirt I've got on right now. Um, yeah. I love it. Is okay, that a new so that, Ernest Emerson shirt? Kind of. I mean, we're, yeah, I guess so. It could be, that's for sure. But well, you, that kind of says You got to put that, one in the mail for me, brother. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll work on that. Uh, the, the thing about it is, again, like the idea of the sovereign man is to be independent. I, what has built our societies, uh, almost every single society that's ever existed, has been uh, a sense of independence and rugged uh, individualism. And I mean, th- those are the things that I believe as we 
head towards those uh, socialist communist of uh, uh, the government is they all the government is God kind of a feeling that we're, we're being forced down on us. Uh, it's I always look at and again, I will talk about this. Some of these universal principles that apply to combat. Uh, they also apply to life. For example, uh, if you take a bear, let's say, and uh, you provide it with easy access to garbage uh, dumps and or uh, you feed them or whatever, what what happens? The bear becomes dependent on the garbage dump. It becomes dependent on human beings producing something that the bear should be out foraging for or, uh, you know, hunting for to, to uh, provide food and, and whatever for itself. And again, it's the same universal principle for human beings. If, if we, if everything is always given to you uh, just because you are um, what, what incentive is there for that guy to get up off the couch and go out and get a job or get an education or to become sovereign? Uh, there is none. And I, I, human nature um, is, I believe, Again, the, these universal principles that I that I kind of, I guess, became evident to me in my world is people will fall to a certain level. Now, you can say universal basic income. Let's let's look at that for just a second. Oh, that's a great thing. That'll allow people to flourish and uh, they can pursue the arts and they can pursue their their dreams and all that. No, that isn't going to happen because I'll tell you what's going to happen. Human nature is when we look at a welfare society, which is what that would be, there are people, even though they want a new car or a new house or whatever it is that they that they really want they will fall to a level of sustenance it's like the bottom of the net they fall down to that net and they will make do and they'll be comfortable with that because there's no responsibility for them to take uh in providing for themselves or the responsibility of their actions because they're not even doing anything so you know again a lot of this stuff wow it looks really good on paper but the thing that a lot of people do not understand is they don't understand the basic uh, principles of human nature. Uh, you, cause you could say, Hey, Nikki, how, uh, you know, get $200, $300 a week or something, uh, unemployment and or welfare or whatever. Uh, for gosh sakes, who wants to live uh, uh, when you can't go out and um, I guess I don't want to sound like I'm a, a greedy capitalist. But the point is, is that uh, I want to provide for my family. I want to have them have a better uh, existence than maybe I had when I was growing up and all that. And if you can't do that, um, what's wrong with people? Well, it's nothing wrong with them. It's just human nature that people will fall to that safety net and they're, they'll get by. And they'll lose that drive because something's being provided for them. For gosh sakes, uh, as you know, I, 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 without knowing this at all, I'm going to say this. As you know, our grandfathers probably came to this country or whatever country it was to start over. And when they arrived, they probably had nothing, maybe a, maybe a couple shekels in their pocket or a couple dollars or a couple lira or whatever in the hell it was, uh, those people knew that given the chance to take responsibility, to be in charge of their own existence, to uh, 
make a better life for their families. That's what drove them to take those risks. I mean, come on, think about it. Uh, give up everything that you have to go someplace and start over. That takes some, that's a sovereign man right, right there. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm guessing, but I'm, I've kind of got the feeling that you came from that type of a background or upbringing or legacy. Yeah. My, 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 uh, I'm actually an immigrant myself from, from Iran. I was uh, mm -hmm. 13 years old when we left Iran and I was just shy of 15 when we got to Canada. So absolutely. That's our background. Yeah. Yeah. And look at, you know, I mean, uh, honest, we're not living in a palace, but for gosh sakes, we're, we're doing a lot better than, than, than our grandfathers were doing. That's probably a fact. Uh, but it's only because you took the initiative. You took the, you took that chance. You took that leap of faith uh, you, you were, you had enough confidence in your self to say, you know what, I can do this. I'm going to do this. There's, there's nothing, uh, on this planet that's going to stop me from getting from, from A to Z, uh, to, to accomplish my goals. And again, you know, that's a, that's a force to be reckoned with because, you know, if you have that type of attitude, uh, it doesn't matter what happens to you. They're just speed bumps. Just go around it, go over it, slow down, regroup, but keep charging forward. Uh, again, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing that I think both uh, in, in Canada and the United States, both the right and the left misunderstand the motivations of immigrants. There's a lot of people on the left that think, hey, we're going to replace, you know, uh, right wing voters with people from. Uh, other parts of the world, they're going to come here and they're going to vote for us. Mm -hmm. And then the right goes, oh, my God, that's actually happening. Most of the people that come here are voting for them. But that's a misunderstanding of history, because if you look at the history of immigration in Canada, the United States and other countries, initially, the majority of the immigrants always tend to vote for the uh, the party that says we're going to take care of you, right? We're going to yep. we're going to give you food. We're going to like like. Of course, that's natural. That's normal. Yep. It's a new environment. It's very uncertain. They don't have a job. They don't have a business. They're freaking out. They're trying to feed their families. So, but what they don't understand is that over time, the whole reason those damn immigrants came to the United States was because they want the American dream. And to them, the American dream is we want to be free and we want to be rich. We yep. want to be free and we want to be rich. And over time. They're going to figure out that, wait a minute, them Democrats, they don't want us to be rich. <laughs> Screw the Democrats. I'm a Republican now. That's, yeah. that's, that's what happening. happens. It's, it happens. Look at the Hispanic vote in the United oh. States today. It's flipped. Look at it. Look yep. at it. And the Republicans are stupid. I go, guys, you don't get it. Recognize it. You know what? Here's what you do. If I were a Republican politician, I'd say I'm pro-immigration. Yeah, yeah, you got to have it be legal and all that. You don't want people coming in. Absolutely scared. But I'm just going to say, mm -hmm. we're the party of immigration. We're the party of the American dream. If you want a better life for your family, this is your political home. And yeah. believe me, believe me, that's a winning message. You know what's not a winning message? Stay in your place. We'll always take care of you. It's yeah. not a winning message. Like oh. I'm just telling you, it's not. And, and the Democrats are dumb because they don't get human nature. They just think, oh, yeah, they're, no, they're, they're the real racists, right? Because only yeah. racists would think that people from other countries are dumb enough to want to stay down all their life. 
And the Republicans, well, they're dumb because they actually buy what the Democrats are saying, which is hilarious to me. I'm not going to get too graphic here, but I wish a lot of our Republicans had bigger, you know what, between cojones? their legs. Because, yeah, <laughs> bigger cojones. Because, uh, again, I, I, oh, when you were talking about uh, Donald Trump, let's let's go back there for a second. Um, I, I'm going to use the reference of America because that's that's sure. just how I, how I am and what I talk about. Uh, Americans love a fighter. They love a guy that they know if you're sitting in a bar with them and somebody takes a swing at you, that that guy sitting next to you is going to stand up and and fight right alongside of you. And again, look at Jack Kennedy, uh, you know, that type of individual. Donald Trump, you know, for all his foibles, uh, he's a guy that I know if I was sitting in a bar drinking beer with him and somebody took a poke at me, he'd probably smack him in the head with, with his beer bottle. Uh, that's that's an inspirational leader. Uh, and, and I also believe that um, the thing about we, we like strong uh, we like strong men that that's that's a fact. Uh, and man, when I say this, I, I don't want every all the women out there to take this in the wrong way. But it's it has always been the role of man, men to protect uh, the family, to protect the females. And that's not saying that, you know, women, women are some pretty substantial protectors of, of all they hold dear also. Uh, but it, I believe the traditional role, and, and I don't mean something that's been construed by some ancient philosopher. I mean, this, this is a biological fact. Men are it's physically a, stronger than women, period, full yeah. stop, end of story. I mean, if anybody yeah. has a problem with that and they want to get mad, mad at me for that, bring it on. Let's have, go ahead. Let's yeah. bring it. Cause that's a fact. Yeah. But, but, Donald Trump represented what I believe to be the American spirit, which is like, you know what? If you spit in my face, I'm going to give you a black eye. Uh, that's a fact. So don't don't even think about it. And I and again, now we've got uh, we don't have we don't have any of that anymore uh, right now at this moment. But Not in the White House. Got, that's for sure. I got my fingers crossed that I've got my fingers crossed that maybe that that that's going to change. Listen, I I. Um... This is this is my prediction. Joe Biden will not finish his term. <laughs> Joe Biden will not finish his term. Uh, the media has turned on him already. He did his job. Yeah. You know, he was the placeholder to get in. Now it's like, OK, let's get someone else in. If he were to be the nominee in 2024, 20, I think they'd lose California. That yeah. ought to tell you something. <laughs> right? That ought to tell you something. Yeah, there's, you know, uh, there's That's a how lot bad of, it is. There's a lot of conservative, closet conservatives, you know, even in this state, California, where I'm at right now. Oh, um, there are. But I'm talking yeah. about liberals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm talking about California liberals. Listen, yeah. in San Francisco, there was a district attorney named Chesa Boudin. He is the son of some actual terrorists. OK, and he got mm -hmm. elected and he was so bad. He's caused such a deterioration in San Francisco areas, quality of life that the very liberal voters of San Francisco on a 60-40 basis kicked him out of office. He was recalled, okay? Yep. San Francisco. Ain't exactly yeah. a bastion of conservatism. You know what I'm saying? Ain't even a bastion of moderation. Yeah. <laughs> it's, kidding. A, it's a bastion of extreme liberalism. Yeah. Now, if San Francisco's turned on you, you're screwed. <laughs> you're screwed. Well, it, you know, again, interesting universal principle 
it doesn't matter if you're a conservative or a liberal or a leftist or a rightist. We're still inspired by strength and leadership. And if you are not that person who's in office, you're going to lose even your staunchest supporters because, again, it's human nature. How can I be... uh, Let's let's look at it. And there's a chapter in, in the book about the coach. Oh, wait, it's not in this one. It's in the next one coming up. Um, I don't think it's in that one. Uh, but the the thing about a coach is this. If you had a coach on a team who walked in and just basically said, well, do whatever you want. As opposed to a Vince Lombardi type of coach or a Tom Landry or a, a coach that was that that had leadership qualities that was had was a strict disciplinarian that demanded the best from his uh, uh, team or his players, uh, which which is going to produce the better results? The coach that just says, do whatever you want. We're all equal. We're all. Yeah, you can be the quarterback today. I don't care. That's fine. No, that doesn't work. And again, at some point, all those players are going to be, I wish we had that other coach over there because they're winning and they're, they're doing, they're having fun at this for us. We're getting our rear ends handed to us every time we step on the field. Uh, that that's not sustainable. And I, again, it's a universal principle. It just goes through, through life, leadership, strength, lead by example. Uh, those are the things that, you know, those inspire others. That's that's what makes people the alpha male or the, the 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 top guy in the in the pack. You know. So there's a reason why the Democrats are trying to disqualify Trump from running again in 2024. <laughs> there's a reason why they're lying their their fannies off in the January 6th um, yeah, yeah. hearings that they basically locked out the Republican Party from, except for two token Republicans that really yeah. aren't Republicans anymore and ought to be ought to be kicked out of the party officially. There's yeah. a reason for that. And the reason is they're frightened to death. And here's the truth. Donald Trump's record compared to Joe Biden's record is one that will get a lot of people that voted against him to say, you know what, I made a mistake. I'm going to vote for him this time. In my opinion, if Donald Trump were to run again, and it's not, you know, it's not a done deal that he's running, despite what everybody says. Yeah, I think he wants to run. It's not a done deal that he's mm-hmm. running, 100 percent. But if he were to run again and his opponent were Joe Biden, he'd win all 50 states. It would be the first yeah. 50 state win in the Sweet. history of U.S. electoral politics. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think Joe Biden would win one state. Yeah. I don't think he'd come close to winning one state. There would never be. Uh, anybody who could say otherwise. Now, if they put another Democrat in his place and it happens to be the current vice president, you know, they're going to be in big trouble too. She's less popular than Joe Biden. They need someone else to run against Trump. The problem is no matter who that someone else is, no matter who it is, the Democrat party has a problem with the American electorate now. It's not the individual. It's the party brand. The party brand right now stands for incompetence. The party brand stands right now for not caring about what their own basic supporters think. The party mm-hmm. brand right now stands for little kids being sexualized. Are you out of your freaking mind? Yeah. This isn't a gay or straight thing. You don't sexualize children no. under the age of eight. That's just like common freaking sense. You know, I, my best friend growing up was gay. I have a mm-hmm. lot of gay friends. Okay. I'm telling you, they're horrified at this. They're yeah. like, we don't support this. 
we don't think this is a good idea. The people that think this is a good idea are people that are either cynical and evil or people that are really, really messed up. That's not the average Democratic voter. So in my opinion, in the United States, it doesn't much matter who runs against Donald Trump. He's going to be reelected if he were to get into uh, a place where he cho chooses to run. If anybody mm -hmm. else is the Republican nominee, those chances go down significantly. Yeah. Significantly. Well, well, we'll see how that sorts out, because, again, uh, I I do believe that uh, Donald Trump has the best interests of this country at heart. I agree, too. Uh, so not being a political strategist, but kind of just an observer, uh, I believe that he is listening to people that are going to convince him to do one thing or the other uh, based on what is the most likely way for us to get someone in office that's going to also have the the country's best interest at at heart uh so you know yeah, I agree. yeah. uh if if he if they say hey donald this is your this is it's you let's let's go for it uh if they were to say probably Donald, you know what, let's, let's take a look. We have a better chance if this happens or that happens. Uh, I do, I really do believe that he's, he's a businessman for God's sake. Yeah. Does he have an ego? Hell yeah. It, to be successful in any endeavor, whether it's the world champion uh, uh, water polo guys or the, or the, or a politician or the best singer or musician in the world, there's a healthy dose of ego in there. To be the it's best be. businessman in the world, you got to think you are the best businessman in the world. Period. Agreed. And yeah, again, that's a, that's a one of those unshakable uh, faith in your own self confidence. And to a lot of people, that that comes off as arrogant and oh, you're full of yourself and all that. Well, you know what? Yeah, sorry, but if you're the guy who always criticizes those who are successful, you're never going to be successful. Uh, sure. in, in, in life, there are people who uh, embrace the success of others and those who want to tear down the success of others because of the, you know, the, I, did, it, I, I could be that guy. I, I should have had those opportunities. I should be that successful. I'm smarter than that guy or whatever. Well, if you have that kind of attitude, uh, get up off your rear end and put that stuff to use because there's nothing like the proof in the pudding. Uh, otherwise, you know what? It's like my one of my friends, uh, Chris Karachi, um, he was a plank owner for SEAL Team 6. Uh, he said, Ernest, you got to understand something. Uh, words, state, intentions, actions prove intentions that that's that's what it comes down to if you want to be something then get up off your rear end and be that something uh don't don't uh uh begrudge others did get up off the rear end and ran with it because you're never going to you're never going to get anywhere you're going to stay on that couch so word state intentions actions Prove intentions. Prove intentions. Nice. Yes. And what's the gentleman's name who said that? Chris Karachi. C-A-R-A-C-C-I. Man, I'd like to meet that fellow. That's fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, you, you talked about stoicism and, uh, uh, oh, gosh, the Roman emperor. Um, Marcus Aurelius. Yes, Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. Uh, 
you would think you're talking to Marcus Aurelius if you ever get a chance to talk to Chris. I, I can, I, I might be able to make a connection here for you. He, he is a, uh, the, absolute, yeah, he's the absolute epitome of the warrior, uh, the poet warrior. And uh, he's one of the deepest thinkers. Uh, half the time you think you're talking to Confucius or, <laughs> or something. It's, it's it. really funny. It's, love it, love but, it. But Chris developed a lot of the uh, actual tactics and things that are in use now by police departments and uh, government agencies back in the days when they were just, I mean, think about it. SEAL Team 6 goes all the way back to the 80s and all that, yeah. um, when a lot of this yeah. stuff didn't exist. Most, most cities didn't even have SWAT teams at the time. Uh, but Chris is responsible for helping develop a lot of those, the actual room clearing tactics and, and things like that. So he's, he's a wealth of information. That's awesome. And yeah, a, great, and a great person. I'd love to talk to him. Uh, oh. I, I wish I could have uh, met uh, Richard Marcinko before Dick, he passed. Yeah, that would have been that would have been an honor. Uh, well, well, there's a there's a rugged self individualist. Oh, ever, yeah. I read a bunch of his books. He was he was uh, he, he was he was a hoot and a holler, man. Yeah. His books were well, a lot I, of fun. A lot of I, fun. I guarantee you this, if he was sitting in the bar next to you, he would pick up the beer bottle and smack the other guy in the head with it. <laughs> you can count on him. I That's love sure. it. The Rogue Warrior, man. He's yeah. awesome. He's awesome. What I wanted to kind of just brief on a little bit um, is the, in order to survive extreme violence, we have to understand certain things again about human nature and one of those things and we've we've danced around this now uh for the last 15 or 20 minutes and and i hope people are starting to kind of understand it that those principles apply across the board they apply both to the good guys and they apply equally to the bad guys but if you're not aware of those principles you, you're basically going into a situation blindfolded and if you are become aware of them through discussions like this, or perhaps you know the book that I that I that I wrote, uh, you can start to understand how to use those principles to your advantage and to the disadvantage of the bad guy. And so, when we talked about uh, Uvalde, um, one of the things that I think when we we're talking about the police that. You know, we're deciding whether they want to be a graphic artist or a, or a, uh, a police officer. A police officer, like a soldier, has to be ready to go into combat. Because, again, a universal principle is this. If someone is trying to hurt you or do you harm, whether they're, whether they're using uh, bullets, uh, knives, clubs, rocks, whatever in the heck it has to be, you are engaged in combat and we are not training our police officers to be able to go into combat. We train our soldiers to be able to do that. And, and, and all of the countries that, uh, that have armies uh, or military services, that's what they train them to do, to be able to go into combat. Well, for gosh sakes, clearing a room or, or assaulting a building with a bad guy inside or bad guys What's the difference if it's in Iraq or it's in Uvalde, Texas? It's combat. Exactly. It's a it's combat, combat environment. I don't have to be wearing a, uh, my BDUs uh, to, to, to make it combat. 
Where was that young man in, uh, in Indiana? He was in combat. There was a bad guy with a gun. He was in a combat situation and he took the initiative to engage him because again, you know, when we talk about all that stuff, especially in, in the, the, with the active shooters, there, there's only certain things that stop the kill, killing. One of them is uh, the guy's weapon malfunctions or he runs out of bullets. Okay. Uh, the second thing is he commits suicide. That's when it stops. Third thing is when he's engaged, because when you talk about uh, combat, uh, think of uh, what's the standard operating procedure for a Marine platoon when they are uh, attacked in an ambush. Well, it's to return uh, with overwhelming firepower that violence against the ambush to take away or negate their 100% offensive capability. Because if you're taking rounds, if you are engaged by active countermeasures, you're no longer 100% offensive. Well, if a, when a guy goes into a mall, a theater, or a school as an active shooter, at the moment that he starts his killing spree, he's 100% offensive. It is only when he is a those two things that I talked about runs out of bullets, malfunction of the weapon engaged in with active countermeasures by overwhelming with, force, right? Yeah. Or he is killed by the police when they arrive or someone who is there that is armed and can uh, takes a gun to stop a gun basically is what it comes down to. So again, um, you know, we're not giving that type of training to the police officers. Now, there's been a number of incidences where there was a, uh, a school in Iowa called the Nickel Mines uh, School, I believe the name of it was. And the two little, it's a small rural area. So those are just, you know, police officers. And again, I'm not, I'm not denigrating it in any way, but they're average cops, if you will, in a small town rural environment. They arrived at the scene. There was killing taking place inside. They had absolutely no experience in engaging against an active shooter. So they waited. Well, I'm from a small town way, 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 way up north in northern Wisconsin. Our SWAT team is made up of two officers from four or five adjoining counties. How long do you think it's going to take for a response time for a SWAT team that's made out of made up of guys that might be 50 miles away at an any hour given point in time. More. Yeah. So th the the point though that I'm trying to make is we need to absolutely train our police officers to be able to engage in a combat environment and give them that mentality. And again, you know, in the book I talk about the mentality of uh, the warrior mentality and everything. We we need to you can teach that. That's not a, that isn't like, oh, well, you're either born a warrior or you're not a warrior or you're whatever. Uh, why do you think we have the training that we do? Not, not every young man or woman that joins the military is a gung-ho Audie Murphy charging up the hill, taking down the German, you know, machine gun emplacement, but they can be taught to be that type of person. When you talk about, uh, for example, Israel, Every person in the in the country has to go into military service. That's across the skills. board. Yeah, yeah, that's across the board. That's pacifist all the way to 
uh, default aggressive personalities, but they all come out ready to defend innocence and always be on guard for uh, bad things to happen. Again, we could get into the bias for normalcy and, uh, well, let's do this for a second. Um, I mentioned something about uh, being prepared, having a plan. The people that have a plan or who are prepared are the ones that survive. I guarantee you that individual, that that boy in uh, Indiana, he knew why, why did he have a concealed carry permit? Because if something ever happened, he was going to engage. Okay. Uh, he had a plan and it, it's people go, well, you can't live your life with paranoia and all that. Look, you know what? I'm not paranoid. I'm a realist, uh, but I'm prepared at any moment in time. Uh, the Brits had something they called the switch. It, it's an interesting concept. You have to be able to develop the switch. You can be the easygoing, uh, okie dokie guy and all that, but man, when you know what hits the fan, you got to turn that switch on 100% volume and be ready to go. It's not a matter of me being at full volume all the time. Condition red, as you know, defined by uh, Colonel Jeff Cooper, uh, which is white yellow, orange, and red, which we could get into that too. But uh, if you can't exist in either orange condition or red condition, because you'll burn out, you're like a, you're like a fuse that just goes zip and it's gone. Uh, but you have to be able to go from condition yellow. You never want to be in condition white because that's basically asleep. Uh, you need to be able to go and go bang and go, and go immediate to action. Because think about it. Um, when you're in a mall and you hear uh, pop, 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 pop. There's people that are going to say, oh, wow, is that, is that balloons? Are those balloons popping? Must be some balloons popping. <laughs> the Marine just back from a tour in Afghanistan is not going to assume those are balloons. He's going to assume that's gunfire. And if it is gunfire, he's got a plan. If it's balloons, so what? Doesn't matter. <laughs> But you were ready if, if it wasn't what that, you know, if it wasn't balloons. So, again, you know, those those are the types of things that we need to be able to, uh, I guess, expose our our. Our people to not think about it. Um, I'm from a, a, a rural area and. Everybody hunts and fishes there. They, they it's it's not a. Uh, uh, well-off place. Let's just say that it's a lot of sustenance people. And they'll do, they'll have two, three, four jobs, do odd jobs, whatever it takes just to put a little food on the table and, and pay the rent. So hunting and fishing and all that uh, is a, that's a necessary skill. And uh, I'll tell you what, a lot of those good old boys, I'm telling you right now, you could throw them into a combat environment. They're going to perform all well and good. Uh, the, just because of the environment that they've come out of. And again, you know about this because Canada's, if you look at Canada, it's 99% wilderness. There's a few small cities in there uh, or some large cities, but uh, there are the population that's there is concentrated in some of those areas, but there's a huge wilderness out there. And the guys that are out there wandering about, you know, providing for themselves and their family, those, those are pretty hard that's a hard man that can do that kind of stuff. And I think we're losing that um, as a whole in society because of all of the things when we go back to wokeism again and, and that insidious uh, 
permeation of our, our psyche, if you will, of our young people. Uh, you're special. Everybody's special. Well, you know what? If everybody's special, then nobody's special. Exactly. Because, you know, what? what's that all about? We're all winners. We all get the trophies. We all even last place. You know what? I'm telling you right now, there was nothing that I learned more from losing than I ever did from winning. 100%. Way more. Because when I, when I, when I would win as a fighter, as a boxer, as a wrestler, as a whatever, um, I didn't really learn about myself. But when I lost, I learned a lot about myself every single time. And I learned that I've got to work on these skills. I've got to work on this. I've got to be, why did I let myself down at that critical moment when it would have just taken me to, to pull myself up by the bootstraps? I could have pulled this one out. It just set that in motion so that next time I'm going to be a little better. Next time I'm going to be a little better. So again, sheltering these children and everything from, you know, getting a bad grade on a paper because we don't grade anymore. For Christ's sake, how, how am I going to improve in any way, shape, or form unless I have a standard to judge myself against? And whether that's a winning score or a losing score or grades in school or critiques by employers, for God's sakes, I have to be very careful. I don't want to hurt the feelings of some of the people that we've had as employees because they were liable to walk off the job. And, you know, it's like, if, if you think that I'm being aggressive by giving you some constructive criticism, I'm going to tell you something right now. You never stood in front of a Marine Corps drill instructor. <laughs> and if that, if, if I make you will, holy mackerel, you'd be a puddle on the floor if you were in front of one of those DIs. I'll tell you that. That's 100% true. And listen, you know what? You can't handle criticism. You're not going to go very far in life. You just well, know. you know what? There, there is true self-esteem and there's false self-esteem. And what we're doing is we're building in false self, self-esteem. Because, again, uh, we look at the people that I, that I deal with on a daily basis, both as customers and as employees. Uh, it's you're only worth what you're able to do. In other words, the, that same maxim uh, you know, words state intentions, actions prove intentions. Uh, you you can't have that false value of of who you are, or what you're worth, and I don't mean monetarily. I mean as a producing individual, a sovereign man. In other words, uh, I need to know my skill set. I need to know where. I need to improve. I know I need to know what I'm good at and what I suck at. Because again, like David Goggins said, he goes, people say, you know, double down on your strengths. Hell, he said, don't double down on your strengths, triple down on your weaknesses. If your strengths are already there, they're good. Triple down on the weakness, fix the weakness. Because what you want is you want that sovereign man. You want a person who faced with any adversity is going to come out on top no matter what whether they win lose or draw they know they've given their best effort and whether whether that other person was better on that any, any given day uh that that may be the case but but if you know that you're willing to give everything you've got because you're not scared of failing 
then you're going to succeed. Because my, as my buddy told me one time, he said, Ernie, the, the world is run by C students. If you're a B student, you're going to succeed. If you're an A student, you're going to, you're going to mop the house up. And uh, from my own personal experience, I, I think that was a 100% accurate statement that he made. In fact, it might even be D students run the world these days. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, the you know if we could talk about the book just for a couple seconds, uh, it again it's a it's a book that describes uh, what happens in a violent environment and what are the things that you should have in your skill set or your playbook because it's not about you know you got to do. 660 push-ups or, or anything like that. It, it has nothing to do with techniques or if A does this, then you then B does that. It's none of that. It's about what happens in those environments. What what is it that most likely uh, the bad guy is going to do, and what is the most likely thing that the good guy is going to do? Because if you think about it, um, there are no absolutes. The principles that I talk about, they apply across the board, but there are always outliers. There's always uh, exceptions to any rule that, you know, as, as the interaction between two hum human beings take place, especially violent actions, uh, there's a lot of X factors going about and things can change in a, in a heartbeat. The dynamics of the situation can flip in an instant. And so you need to have, you need to play the odds is what it comes down to. If 90% of the time when a bad guy enters a room, he turns to the right, then you stand on the left side of the door. And it's things like that, that a lot of people are just flat out not aware of. So I play the odds. And what I'm hoping to do with this book as part of the, the, the overall uh, knowledge that I'm trying to put out there is you have to play the odds. Is, it, is everything going to work exactly as planned every time? No. And that, in fact, you know, every, every plan's good until first contact with the enemy. That's a, it's another old uh, military saying. But the point is, is that um, if you think about Vegas, look at Las Vegas. It's huge. It's worth billions and billions and billions of dollars that just end up in the coffers of those casinos. Their odds are like stacked plus like 3%, but it's enough to make them successful. So when it comes to life or death, if I can take that 100% offensive capability away from the bad guys and bring it down to 70%, that's a 30% chance that I'm gonna survive. If I can bring it down to 50%, it's a 50% chance I'm gonna survive. And if I can take it all the way down to 20% or 0%, then I, am, I know I'm gonna survive. Now, it isn't just about me surviving. If I'm surviving and I'm the, and I'm the sheepdog who's protecting the flock, Who's going to protect them if I'm not there? So everything that I do, period, has to be done with the idea that I need to be able to sacrifice my well-being, my safety to protect the innocents, whether you're at a mall, whether it's your family, whether it's in your home and someone's doing a, 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 a follow home robbery or any of that kind of stuff, whether it's in a school, for gosh sakes. Uh, we, again, let me, let, me, let me go off on a, on a very controversial subject for a second. 
we give our children to the shepherding of teachers for about eight hours a day. That means they're not under my wing for that every day. They're under the protection of someone else. We, there is an implied uh, agreement, if you will, or expectation that those teachers not only are teaching our children, but they're providing them with a safe environment. And that's one of those things that, again, if you don't think about it, if you don't look at it, if you don't state it, a lot of people, they're just kind of, they're not in a state of denial about it, but they just, they don't think these things out. If I give my kids over to you as a teacher, I expect them to be protected by you as the teacher. Now, whether I state that or not, it's implied. So what do we do? We don't give the teachers any way to protect our children. And then we expect them to protect our children. It's, it's one of those weird conundrums. And one of the things that I'm a, a huge advocate of uh, is arming the schools, arming the teachers, setting up perimeters. I, I don't care if it's not a uh, fostering environment to have a chain link fence around a school, because you know what? I want my kids to come home at night. What, what good is a fostering environment with free and open air and everything if someone can march in there and kill 17 little tiny kids? It, I, I'll tell you what, you ask anybody who's ever been involved or close to any of that type of scenario, they're going to say, you know what, I wish we had a 25-foot high wall around that school because you can't, you can't get these things back. Once they're taken from us, they're gone forever. So... As far as teachers are concerned, if I can just hit that for one second, um, I don't believe that every teacher should be armed. I believe the program should exist that, hey, we're going to give firearms training. We're going to provide concealed carry permits to teachers who volunteer to take that training or carry that gun. Or if there's no one to do it, then there should be some type of in a safe secured environment, maybe in the administrator's office or something, there should be access to firearms. Because again, universal principle that we were talking about earlier, takes a gun to stop a gun, takes armed aggression to stop extreme violence. It takes countermeasures to stop that offensive capability by the bad guy. And this is uh, interesting too, because we I hear all the arguments and it's a hot button issue, believe me. I've given uh, talks to administrations and school boards and everything else. And it, it there's people, that <laughs> they really want to just grab me and throttle me because I'm saying something so insane and so radical. There are organizations here in the United States that have armed schools. And I can't think of all the names of them now, but there are many schools where counties and or city and or state go uh, governments have said it's okay to have teachers have concealed carry permits and actually have firearms on their person in the school environment. Here's the deal. That's been going on for a, a number of years now. There's, and again, here are all the arguments. There's never been an act, uh, a negligent discharge. There's never been an accidental shooting by a teacher. Would there be? Never would, it's never happened. It has an absolute 100% clean slate record from start to finish. And most of the time, the students don't even know that the, the, the teacher might have a concealed carry uh, or be 
be armed. And so, again, you look at Israel again, because they're, I always use them as an example because they're, again, I got it. It's a small, smaller country, smaller population base. Uh, it's easier to do things. It's like having a, uh, when you say El Al's never been, had a hijack or whatever. Well, it's because they have armed uh, uh, air marshals on board. Well, they don't have as many as air, airplanes in El Al's uh, uh, repertoire as maybe the United States does. But the point though is the principle. Nobody's going to take over an airplane if there's a guy sitting up there with a machine gun and you know where he is and you're looking at it. It's the same thing with the schools. Their schools have single points of entry. They have perimeter fencing. And I would probably take some guy in an armored vehicle to even try and get onto a school ground because no individual is going to walk in there and and attack Israeli uh, school children. So um, do we need to be that extreme? You know, who am I to say? Uh, personally, um, if you look at, let's look at New York City. A lot of those schools, their buildings, they don't have the luxury of having an open air campus spread out all over two or three acres of land. A lot of those those uh, schools, even in in larger cities, they're they're like a big building where you have to go in through the doors in the in the ground floor, and then your classes are situated at, at different on different levels or different stories. So they turn out some pretty smart people from those schools. They're not hampered by the, by the closed in secure environments. It are, it, things like that already do exist. So the argument against hardening our schools, uh, and I mean everything from preschools to, you know, to college campuses, uh, again, I, I, I think it's, as people will say, Hey, Ernie, that's an unrealistic, uh, wish but nonetheless it's still a wish because again um it's such a um it's just such a the most precious thing that we have period uh is our children outside of our wives um in our family it's 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 our children and there's got to be something done to to effectively try and and are you going to put it's it's the I've only got 10 fingers to put in the holes in the dike. And if there's 20 holes, at least I've plugged 10. You know what I'm saying? Uh, my goal is to enlighten people, you know, in, in those regards. So, Look, the book's called Bad Guy with a Gun, How to Survive the Attack of an Active Shooter, Volumes 1 and 2. I, um, I think everybody should read it. it. There's a lot of wisdom in the book. And we're living in a time where bad guys are rearing their ugly heads yeah and we need some good guys who've got the ability to take them down and take them out it's that simple i believe that a gun is a tool just like a a hammer or a knife or an axe or a shovel or your fists or your fists and it's not the gun that's the problem it's the intention of the person wielding it and if we're in a situation where bad guys can access guns, then we need to make sure that good guys can access guns and they're in a position to be able to utilize them to save the lives of the innocents. I have a good friend of mine who was murdered in a restaurant in Toronto. Bad guy walked in there and it looked like a contractual hit, walked over to him, shot him four times and ran out. Nobody did anything. 
because nobody was in a position to do anything. Yeah. If my friend were armed or someone in that restaurant were armed, well, situation could have been different. He has sons, my boy's age. So right now they're 14 and 16. It was five years ago. September. Yeah. They don't have a dad anymore, man. September, 2017, this guy was murdered. They don't have a dad anymore because the situation was such that the bad guy who didn't give a shit about the rules or the laws acquired himself a gun and the good guys who did care about the rules and the laws were unarmed. And back in ancient times, free men carried weapons, slaves didn't. Yeah. And we'll end it off on that. You know, it's, it's powerful. I think from the point of view of the sovereign man movement, men need to be protectors and, you know, it's politically correct right now to say, well, to say that women can be protectors. Yeah. Some women can definitely be protectors, Oh yeah, but on aggregate, men are the protectors and men are the aggressors. Let's be candid. Most of the bad folks out there that are carrying weapons are men. And most of the, most of the good folks are going to be able to stop them need to be men as well. And we're living in a time where, you know, gnashing one's teeth and wringing one's hands and going, Oh, how terrible it is. Ain't going to solve anything. You need to have an active plan and an active strategy in order to do that. So Ernest, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for, you know, talking about this with us today. Always great to have yeah. you here. Come on back. Let's talk about some yeah. more things next time, brother. Hey, can I can I tell you where they can get the book? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they can get the book on Amazon. Or if you want a signed copy, you can get one directly off our website, emersonknives.com. And uh, I, I've, I have other books too. This is the eighth one, but this is the, uh, the big one. So uh, Nikki, thank you very much. I always appreciate it. You, you draw a lot of, uh, you force me to think, which again, that's, that's what I would say is the epitome of a good host uh, and also a good friend. Because if you. if you force me to think about a stance that I've taken, then I better be 100% ready to, to, to do that, to defend my stance. And, and you do a wonderful job of that. I truly appreciate it. My pleasure, brother. My pleasure. Thank you. All Nikki. right. Yeah. And for the sovereign man, we'll catch you on the flip side. And for the Thought Leader Revolution, that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Ernest Emerson, go to emersonknives.com, pick, a, pick up a copy of this book or any of his other books or any of the other amazing things Emerson Knives has to offer on that website. If you want to find out more about this gentleman, more about what we do at, uh, at our wonderful organization go to itunes stitcher spotify wherever you happen to listen to this episode until next time goodbye thank you for listening to the sovereign man podcast if you're ready to take charge of your life and become the man you've always wanted to be we invite you to join the movement at sovereignman.ca